This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, also, every Wednesday night, like he mentioned, um, Torah Anytime, which you all know is very amazing. They follow me around wherever I go. And um, Baruch Hashem, I don't know how they do this because I don't know anything about the internet, but somehow they got me live so that when I'm speaking Wednesday night, whatever I say, I can't take back. So it's a little bit scary. Because, you know, sometimes I say things that, I don't know, not everyone likes, but um, Baruch Hashem, it's been working out, and um, if you don't come to Ornava, ladies, guys, you're not invited, but if you don't come to Ornava, you could sit at home, and if Chas Shalom you happen to have a computer at home, and if Chas Shalom you happen to be on the internet, um, then, of course, if you're on the internet, we don't want you to be anywhere else, but it might share live. But, um, of course, we don't want you to be on the internet. So, if you're on the internet, then it's the best place to be. All right. So, this Shabbat, well, first of all, before, um, before we talk about this Shabbat, tonight's Shi'ur is dedicated in memory of a very special young girl that passed away um, way before her time, Ronit Bat Anya Meriov, right? That's how you say it? Meriov? Meriov. Um, I'd just like to take a moment, uh, and, and, and not get into the whole thing, but I'd like to take a moment... Um, and talk about her her family. I, I didn't know her, of course. She died very. She passed away very young. I think twelve years old, thirteen, somewhere in that age. Twelve, thirteen. Um, we know that in Shemayim, that the person is not judged until they're twenty. So there's no Shiloh that um, I don't know if she was bas mitzvah, not bas mitzvah at that time. But there's no Shiloh that she's sitting in Gan Eden. Um, and I want to prove to you that she's sitting in Gan Eden. I don't know who she is. But I do know that she's a very holy neshama, and it's an absolute honor for me to come here on Tuesday night and give this shir. Um, I can't even say li'ilei nishmas. Li'ilei nishmas means to make the neshama go up. Um, knowing her age and, and what kind of girl she was, she's probably sitting right by Hashem. So I don't even know that she could go up any further. But it's a schus to give a, a shir in her in, in, in her schus. So, so just for one second, to, to put it on the table, I think this is a lesson... They probably don't want me to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, specifically because they don't want me to talk about it. I love talking about things people don't want me to talk about. Like all of you tonight are thinking, I hope he doesn't talk about Facebook. So, so for sure I'm going to talk about Facebook. My whole share, my share is called Facebook. Anyway, um, they probably don't want me to talk about it, but I really want to talk about it for one second. I want to tell you something. So um, originally I was supposed to give this share last night, Monday night. And, and I didn't realize that... Um, that Monday night was the um, you know the light, lighthouse. Okay, it's good. It's good. Don't worry about it. They don't hear me in the back. If I really want, you can hear me without the microphone in the back. But okay, get a little bit closer. And then what do you want to do with it? You want me to hold it? No, I need my hands. I got all kinds of things I'm doing today. I got my spoon. I need my hands. If I have a mic, I can't do what I got to do. So anyway, so 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 Monday night. It is Monday night. They hear me. Don't worry. It's these technical guys. That's a, you got to worry about what I'm going to say. Don't worry about the mic. So, so Monday night is Lighthouse, which I'm sure, right, that Rabbi Chaimov's program, I'm sure that all the women in this room, for sure, go to that program. Why would you want to miss? Why do you have to come to Brooklyn when you have an amazing program where Milstein was there and, and, and cooking and baking and all kinds of good things and Queens has like a sort of Ornava, you know? Actually, 
Brooklyn has a sort of lighthouse called Ornava, because you guys are already bigger than we are. So I didn't realize when they asked me to speak Monday night that Monday night, every Monday night is the lighthouse. So Rabbi Watson is going to come speak here. Rabbi Mosty is going to go speak there. And, and, and everyone's going to get divided and split up. Who are we going to go to? Probably 90% would have been by Rabbi Milstein, so it would have been a boy share. We'll let you guys really have it. You're lucky they're here tonight. But, um, so I, I said we have a problem, you know, um, Monday night, you know, I don't know if I should give this share. It's not fair. Anyway, to make a long story short, so the, the family who's, who's, who's tonight, tonight for her, we have, you know, the yard site and uh, the Ili Nishmas and Maho Shir. So, um, they said, well, her, you know, her, her yard site um, is, is Monday night, and, and we really want you to speak Monday night. But we understand that it's going to disturb the other shear, so Ray Wallstein, you know, push it off to Tuesday night. And I want you to know that, you know, when I was in Avel, when I lost my father, so um, in the shul that I was praying, and when you, when you lose a parent, you down for the Ahmed, you're the Chazan, there was another man that also um, had lost his father that year. But the, the way it works is Yardzeit goes first, Shloshim goes second, and the year goes third. Um, and this person was in his year, and I was in my Shloshim in the first 30 days. So I go first. Um, but I, 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 I realize that this man is much older than me, and that it would be very hard for him to give up the Amud, not to pray, and maybe I should go to a different shul. But then again, it was my shul, and I was in that shul way before he was ever in part of that shul. So I called my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, in Israel, and he said to me, what do you think is the biggest chut for your father? That you say Kaddish and you're a chazin, or you step aside for somebody else so that he feels good? What do you think is the biggest chut? For sure, it's a much bigger chut for your father if you step aside and you do the right thing for an older person. So you know what? Stay in your shul. And let him down for the Ahmed, don't worry about it, you just say Kaddish. And, and, and therefore, these people, this family, said, you know what, even though Monday night is her yard site, and, and, and we want to do it on the night, you know, on the day of her yard site, um, but it's more important that there's no machlokes and no division, two shirim going out at one time for the same neighborhood and the same women, so we'll push it off to Tuesday night. For Hashem. An amazing family, and I'm sure such a family had an amazing daughter. But Hashem runs the world. And um, I believe that when they when they went on Sunday to the Beisach Varos um, to pray, they looked on the tombstone and they had made a mistake that the yard site was not Monday night, but the yard site was really tonight. So even though they didn't know that, they were willing to give up the yard site of their daughter so that there'd be no machlokas, there would be no division. And Baruch Hashem... Tonight is her yard site, and it's, I'm sure she's in the room right now with us. And it's a very big schuss for me um, to give a shear for such a young, special person who's sitting next to Akash Baruch So I have no shiloh that whatever comes out of my mouth tonight is going to make an impact on everyone, not because of me, but because of her. So once again, this lecture is dedicated to Tzadikista, Ronit Bat Anya, and I want to know. I want you to know. I'm talking to the family. I don't know them personally. I want you just to know that I don't know many people that would have done what you did to push it off another night, because in our sadness, we you know it's that night. It's the night she passed away, and that's when you have to give it. And they they pushed that all aside so that there'd be no machlokas, and that Rabbi Milstein would have his crowd, 
and Rabbi Wallstein would have his crowd, and that lighthouse, they could real, be, you know, everything would work out together. So it's an amazing family, and I'm sure it was an amazing daughter, and everybody has their time in this world, and their time, you know, what they have to accomplish, and after that we go to the next world. Some people younger, some people older. And I'm sure that was her time. She just came down here to do whatever she had to do. Okay. So, this Shabbat, we are We're benching the Chodesh. Elul! Scary month. You know, Hashem doesn't give us much time. Uh, you know, we, we, everyone's like, ah, oh, summertime, party time, we're gonna have a great time. Three weeks, Shabbat Sabbatamuz, nine days, Tishabav, right? Then you finally get past Tishabav, right? And you're like, okay, now we can have fun. Hello, stop doing tshuva, then it's Rosh Hashanah, oh my goodness, right? <laughs> Hashem knows if He gives us too much time to have a good time, what we're going to do. So we're already in Elul. You're here, we're in the middle of August. And we're thinking about Elul because this Shabbat, the rabbi is going to get up and he's going to be Morochem HaChodesh next week is Rosh Chodesh Elul. So I want to talk a little bit about Rosh Chodesh Elul and what it stands for, and tshuva, and uh, we'll have a good time. It's Hashem. All right. Elul. The word Elul stands for Ani Lidodi. Ah, Tamida Chachamim and Chachamot, right? So, what does that mean? Ani Lidodi I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. We're not talking about your wife. We're talking about Hashem. I am to Hashem, who I love, and Hashem is to me. That's the, the Rashi Tebos, Aleph Lamed, right? Elul. Ani Lidodi Lidodi Lee, Vav Lamed. So that's one thing that it stands for. Another thing that it stands for, most people don't know, right? It's something that has to do with between us and another person. And that is, does anyone know? Anyone know what else Elul stands for? Something that we say on Purim. Nobody knows. Huh? Who said that? Somebody said that here. You saved me. I forgot. Thank you very much. Person we give shachmanos a person to his friend and and a matanos and presents to the poor people. So Elul has two different meanings: one between us and God, and one between us and other people. And the month of Elul, where we're coming into next week, this is what everyone in this room has to work on: two things: one between us and God, and one between us and people. And which one do you think is harder? For sure, harder between us and other people. You thought I was going to say between us and God. Really. Between us and other people because if someone hurts you, it's so much harder to forgive. And one of my favorite subjects is Ishlereyehu also means a person and their parents. How we treat our parents in the month of Elul. Most of us actually, not most of us, but some of us actually treat God a lot better than we treat our parents. The problem with that is that our parents, Kibbutz of the Aim, is in the first five mitzvot in the Ten Commandments. It's in the same five as So, if you're not treating your parents the way you're treating God, then there's something very wrong. So this is a month that we have to look inside ourselves and we have to fix these two things, how we treat other people, including our parents, because believe it or not, our parents are other people, and how we treat Hashem. I came up 
with a new Rashi Tevos for Elul. You ready? Ani with Facebook, u Facebook li. Ani with cell phone, u cell phone li. I am to my cell phone the way my cell phone is to me. Now it's a trick, of course, because once you say Aleph Lamed, you can say Ani anything and anything to me. But that's going to be a little bit what I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, on Tisha B'Av, whoever watched my share, we talked about that. Hashem said, just treat me, I don't want, you don't even treat me like God, just treat me like your cell phone. That Shia you heard. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But i got to tell you what happened today, because every time I give a share, especially here, in this place, and in Queens, that something happens during the day that I have to talk about. It's like, you know, I had my whole share prepared, I was going in one direction, and then some guy went... In my at business, I, I needed a break. I was hungry. I just went downstairs in Borough Park, across the street, in the store, to buy myself a pretzel and a Diet Coke. That's it. And there he was, waiting for me. This guy in the, in the, in the what's it called? I'm not going to say a, a Jewish guy. And he's in this place. He's buying himself something. And the guy, when I walk in, says, Ah, oh, Rabbi Wallerstein, perfect timing. I'm like, I'm here for a pretzel. <laughs> I'm not giving a shear. I'm not going to your house. I'm not doing shalom bias. I'm getting my pretzel, my diet coke, and I'm going back to work. No! I want you to introduce it to my friend. Shalom Aleichem, how are you? Oh, you're Rabbi Wallerstein? I'm like, did I not use deodorant this morning? Like, <laughs> is there something about me that you don't like? He says, oh, I heard about you. Don't waste your time with me. I, I wasn't going to. I just want my pretzel. <laughs> no intentions of wasting my time. Because I'm agnostic. Atheist. I don't believe in God. I'm like, Hashem, what do you want from me? I want to buy a pretzel. What? What, what, what do I have to deal with this for? He goes, I don't believe in God. I'm like, cool. <laughs> okay, so what do you want from me? He goes, well, this guy told me that, that, that he was gonna call you and that I should speak to you and I don't care about any of your shiurim or any of your stuff. I heard about all your stuff. I don't believe in God. There is no God and, and no rabbi is gonna talk into me. So I'm listening to this guy like, so why are you bothering me? Like, you're telling me you don't believe in God. You won't believe in God. Right? But of course he's reaching out to get me into this discussion. So I couldn't control myself, right? Put down my pretzel, my Diet Coke, and I said, okay. I said, so tell me, what don't you believe in? He goes, I don't believe God, I don't believe that there's a God that created this world. I'm like, so who created this world? He said, it just, it's, it's, it's all about nature and, 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 and neutrons and neons and all kinds of other ons, a lot of ons, a lot of offs, a lot of ons, and, and, and there's no God. And he started telling me why he doesn't, whatever. So I said, hold up, I said, time out, time out, time out. I said, are you a specialist on God? Like, are you a specialist? Did you take this in college? God? Is that a subject? Did you major in God? Did you, do you have a bachelor's in God? Do you have a master's? Did you get a PhD? Are you a doctor God? Like, what are you? He goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, before you tell me that there is no God, the first thing you need to do is to study everything about God, then disprove everything about God, and then I'll listen to you. It's going to take you a couple hundred years. But I said, Jew and Gemara, Chumish, Halacha, Midrashim, the Zohar, Kabayasha, 
What did you learn? What do you know about God? What do you know about God? How can you tell me there's no God? I said, just like a kid, I was telling him, there's this kid in Florida. He's laying on the beach. He was born in Miami. Laying on the beach, sun shining. He's out there having a good time. His friend from New York just flies in, comes to the beach, says, hey, A.B., how you doing? Great. He says, wow, I'm so happy. I'm so happy I left New York. He says, A.B., why are you happy? He says, it was a terrible snowstorm when I left. A what? Snowstorm. What's that? What do you mean, what's that? Snow, uh, the sky, and, and there's clouds, and then... And then it gets very cold, and then these like white flakes. It's like it's like the clouds have dandruff, you know. It's like these white flakes come come. That's disgusting. Comes comes floating down, and then and then one lands on the other, and they're freezing. And then and then you can make snowballs, and you can make a snowman, and 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 it's very slippery. They close all the roads and the schools, and it's cold. And you can go skiing, and you can go sledding. You're laying in the sun. It's like, I don't believe in snow. <laughs> what do you mean you don't believe in snow? What are you talking about? How does ice come out of the heavens? What are you talking about? I'm living here in Miami for 16 years. What ice? What are you talking about? Snow. I don't believe in any of that baloney. Yeah, I've heard about it before. I don't believe in it. If I'm telling you this story, you all tell me the guy's in the sugar. Are you crazy? When you don't believe in snow. Get into a plane, fly to Minnesota, fly to Antarctica, fly to Alaska, fly to Colorado, right? Put on your skis and tell me that that's not snow. That's plastic. This plastic coming from Shemayim. But how are you laying in the sun at a beach and making a statement that there's no such thing as snow? You first have to check it out. So I said to this guy, I said, you're the same guy. You're laying on the beach, right? You know nothing about God. You never researched God. You never looked for God. You never studied God. You never opened a safer. And you're laying on the beach. And you're like, there's no snow. There's no God. I said, come. I said, let's go learn for the next 25 years. I'll send you to yeshiva. You'll sit and learn in Eretz Yisrael. You'll put in 14 hours a day. You'll learn every proof of God. You'll learn all the Midrashim. You'll learn all the Gemaras. And then you're going to get up after all those 25 years and say, Rabbi Wallerstein, this Gemara, I disproved. This proof, I disproved. I said, then, then maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll also be an atheist. But now, without the knowledge of anything, how do you get up and say there's no God? I have, so then he said, well, you turned the tables on me. Right? You're telling me that, uh, how can I, he says, why do I have to find and prove God? Why do I have to prove God? He said, you prove me, you know, you prove me that I'm wrong. Why do I have to prove you that you're wrong? Katina said, good. Why do I have to go sit and learn 50 years and then prove you that you're wrong? Right? I say there's no God. Now you prove me that there is a God. Turned it on me, smart guy. So I turned it back on him. Smarter guy. <laughs> so I said the following. I said, I don't know who you are, and I don't know your IQ, but it's definitely not, it's not over 40. <laughs> That's for sure. So I think it's hanging around the 12, 14 number. I said, I don't know your IQ, but listen to me. I said, you just, just, just go to medical school, learn about the human body, 
Go and learn about the flowers and learn about all the insects and the fish. Learn about the whole world and then tell me that it just happened. You're an absolute idiot. Any person that looks at the world and tells me it just happened, nothing in this world just happens. With all our great knowledge of the human being, we have never, ever, 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 ever created anything. We've never created a molecule of anything. We have taken, we have split atoms, we have put things together, we have split them, we have cut them, we have, we have mixed them, but we have never, a human being has never created an element. There's no element that a human being ever created. So yes, we became masters of all types of things, of putting things together and cloning cells, right? So some people, oh, human being can clone cells, that's going to throw Hashem out the window. I'm like, excuse me. When the human being can create a cell from nothing, that'll throw Hashem out the window. But cloning a cell, taking a cell from my body, and then creating another Wallerstein, first of all, that's not very smart, but if you, if you did that, you still took a cell from my body. If you took a cell from my body that was already created, what we do, I'm really excited, you took something that's already created and made something more of it, but you didn't create the, the, the element itself. So I'm, I'm talking science to this guy, and it's already, he's like, you know. So I said, I want, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you the story I told him today. I might have said it here. I might not have said it here. I don't think I said it here. So there's a place in, in France. How many people here, by a raise of hand, have been to Paris? Why? <laughs> Why? Okay. Thank you. Anyway, so in Paris, there's this big museum. It's called... The Louvre, very famous French museum called the Louvre, and they're very, very, very proud of this museum because they have very, very beautiful. By, by the way, my French accent is not French at all. I think it's Portuguese, maybe. Okay, but well, anyway, so they're very, very excited about whatever they have, right? So in the French Louvre, in this museum of art, is the Mona Lisa. Why are you getting so excited about the Mona Lisa? <laughs> Come on, your great-grandmother looked prettier than the Mona Lisa. <laughs> the Mona Lisa, he painted some whatever, I don't know. The sugar, if you're going to paint something, paint something. You know what I mean? The Mona Lisa! Right? And everyone thinks the Mona Lisa is like this big painting. It's a teeny little painting. It's a little painting. I had it for a while. I didn't want it. I didn't look at it on my wall. I sent it over there. It's a teeny little painting. Anyway, so if you go to Paris... Every American tourist has to go to the Louvre because how could you come back and you didn't you know you have to go to the Eiffel Tower right you have to and you have to go to a little big deal Eiffel Tower also we get a little excited about these things the World Trade Center Oliver Shalom was much taller <laughs> was much taller than the Eiffel Tower you know what I'm saying but Americans we we like everything outside of America it's a different share about not appreciating what we have but okay anyway so they have this tour that goes through right and um, they have a, what's called a curator. He's the guy that walks through and explains the paintings and everything. So, of course, you have to have a lot of respect when you come to this French museum, and you have to make believe that you're a connoisseur of art. Like, oh wow, look at the look at the brush marks, look at the direction it was painted. Because you know we we all like to be like we know what we're talking about. You know, like you know what a paintbrush is. You know, the last paintbrush you did was your, your garage. You know, outside, whatever. But anyway. So, so, so they have this tour, and there's American women on there. 
and they come into the room. It's a big room with just this one painting of the Mona Lisa with all the lights on it, right? And the curator says, this is the Mona Lisa. It's the most beautiful painting in the whole world. It's amazing. Look at it. Look a little closer. Isn't it amazing? He, he captured the light. He captured her face. Okay, I'm not going to make you crazy. Anyway, so, so these are two American Altababas. You guys, anyone here speak Yiddish? Altababas mean old grandmothers. Right? And they came on the trip. They want to see Paris. You know? So here they are. And one of them says to the other, they're in this room, right? Everything's quiet. Everything, all the French and the Italian tourists are all very serious. It's, it's a story. It's going somewhere. I'm not just entertaining. Right? And it's all quiet. And it's all, it's very serious. The French are very serious about their things. Very serious. Right? So he's like, right? And she's like, Sadie! Jewish ladies. Sadie, what do you want, Henny? That's an ugly woman they painted. She's not even pretty. Why would someone paint such a Misa Mishuna? Why is vibe? What's going on here? This curator, right? He's a French curator, his face, you know how they turn red, French, his face is turning red, his ears are turning red. These Americans, you know, we don't know anything, we're not cultured, right? So he's like, Ugh. in French, you know, Ugh. Like, but your appearance are always under control. So he doesn't say anything. He's a curator, you can't lose your cool. Okay. They come to the next room, right? Everyone's like, you know, Americans, Ugh. right? Okay, come to the next room. Next room, is Monet. 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 Special painting called The Flowers. Worth more than the Mona Lisa. No one here knows Monet. You see, I, you don't know what Wallstein knows. Okay, anyway, for the story I had to learn. I had to go to the Louvre and I had to learn art. Spent five years in college. I'll talk about it a different day. Anyway, so now they come into this Monet, and it's just worth like millions and millions and millions of dollars, and all it is is a bunch of flowers in a vase, right? But it's gorgeous. Monet painted the flowers, right? They walk in. This curator is ready. He's cooking. He's boiling. And they walk in. Hey, Henny! You call those flowers? My granddaughter in yeshiva... In first grade, painted on my birthday, much nicer flowers. Those are ugly flowers. This guy, that's it. That's it. Nah, he loses it. He turns to these old, to these two old Jewish ladies. He says, ladies, the Mona Lisa and the flowers painted by Monet are not on trial. You're on trial. What does trial mean? Being judged. They're not being judged. You're being judged. I'll explain to you what they said. What the curator was saying, the Mona Lisa is a proven piece of million, multi-million dollar art. There's no argument in the art world that this is an absolute, spectacular painting. The Monet flowers... It's not up for judgment. The whole art world understands that it's the most beautiful, hard painting, the way he caught the, caught the, the art and the, and the light and everything else. It's amazing. It's sitting in the Louvre. It's sitting 
in the museum of the most, the most precious art in the world. So the curator was saying, people don't come through here and give their judgment. Oh, I think it's, she's not nice. I think it's this and I think it's that. This is a museum. This is proven. This is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The question is, who's on trial? The people who walk in. Are you artistic? Are you cultured? Do you understand it? Well, you're from the east side of Manhattan and you never saw a painting in your life and you have no idea what you're doing here. What'd you come here for? You, this is not on trial. So I turned to this guy this morning and said, listen to me, mister. Hashem is not on trial. You're on trial, man. Hashem painted and created a world. There's no question that he created an unbelievable world. Just, just, just take a part of fruit and the seeds in a fruit and how, how a seed goes into the ground. It's not my share tonight. And how it rots. It dies and it rots. And from that comes an apple tree with a thousand more seeds in it. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be a scientist. I said, Hashem is not on trial. And this is what Elul is all about, everybody, because in our lives, Hashem is always on trial. And she do him, I don't have a shidduch, I don't have this, or this is going wrong, or that's going wrong. Why Hashem? What's wrong, Hashem? Are you there, Hashem? Are you, is there really Hashem? And the malachim are screaming from the Louvre and Shemayim, Meshugalim, what is wrong with you? God is not on trial. God is proven. The sun comes up every morning. And it goes down every day. And the waves come in from the ocean every single day, all day. Tide comes in, tide goes out. Never stops. Not for a minute. Not for a second. Every eight seconds is another wave. Hashem's not on trial, humans. You're on trial. That's what I told this guy today. I said, I have to prove to you that Hashem is a God? That's like telling the curator, prove to me that this painting is worth anything. It's hanging in a museum. You don't have to prove anything. Hashem's world that He created for us is here that you're in. You're in His museum. We live in a museum. On one wall is fruit, color, smell. On the other wall is feelings, hearing, seeing. You walk into this room. I'm standing right now in this room. I'm looking at a crowd. In this crowd, there's 15 different colors of clothing. Hashem could have made everything black and white. So you have to prove to me that there's a Hashem. You have to prove to me that there's no Hashem. We live in a museum. It's proven every day that you breathe, that you eat, that your digestive system works. What's going on inside your body? It's like a million factories working at one time. Digesting your food and cleaning your blood. And you get the kidney factory and the liver factory and the heart. A muscle that never stops. Until Chastoshalm, a person leaves this world. You don't even think about it. Everybody's sitting in this room right now. Your heart's beating. Doom, boom, boom, boom the whole time. What's, what's, what, where's the energy coming from? You're not plugged in, Baruch Hashem. Never, a person has to be plugged in for his heart to beat. Where's the battery? Where's the battery in your heart? Where's electricity coming from? They'll tell you. There's electric impulses in your heart. May AFO. Where's the battery? So my teacher said, probably in your head, Wallace, in a big fat one. That's all they put in there with a big battery. It's okay, I'm working, I'm in therapy, I'm working on it. 
So we, we're busy proving God, prove me God, prove me God. Why are you doing this to me, God? What's wrong with you, God? I don't understand you, God. And, I, and, and the Malachi, what are you, what are you crazy? Hashem's proven. You're the problem. You're the one who came to the museum like some Amaretz, like some person from, from the, from the, from the field somewhere. And you're walking into the museum and you don't know what's flying. You gotta get cultured. You gotta, you gotta read about, you know, before you go to a museum, before you go to a museum, if you want to appreciate it, you gotta read a little few books about art. So that you understand what you're looking at. So, before we start asking questions on Hashem, when we're living in this world, we need to start studying a little bit about His museum. And that's the Torah that we learn. And this forum that we learn, you can start to understand a little bit about this museum that we live in, but you can't just stand in the museum and say, well, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like this. Hello? Who are you not to like? It's already here for 5,700 and almost 70 years. And you show up in the museum and like, I don't understand what's going on. Rabbi Wallerstein, prove it to me. So that's what I told this guy this morning. He wasn't happy with me at all. But guess what? I was so happy with myself. I didn't even need the pretzel anymore. <laughs> it was so geschmack to watch this guy squirm. So I was like, you know, do me a favor. Go and, and study and learn. And, I, and then I told him something which totally blew him away. I told him a story about six months ago, nine months ago. I don't know if I told you guys. I, I know I told it in my shir, but it, it's, it's an amazing story. Everybody just take this story and think about it a little bit tonight. Not that there's anything to do with anyone in this room, Kastor but just to understand. This guy comes into my office and he says to me... Um, well, Austin, I need your help. Okay. I wasn't eating a pretzel or drinking Diet Coke. I'm ready to help you. What do you need? And please, please, do not get my address and overnight me pretzels and Diet Coke. It's just a story that I told. For the last time I spoke that I liked something, it was chocolate. All of a sudden, I started getting overnight packages of chocolate. I like pretzels, but I, Hashem, I don't get my pretzel. I appreciate it. Everyone who sends me things, I appreciate it, but it's okay. So... This guy walks into my office and he says to me, Rabbi Wallerstein, I have a friend um, and he grew up with me, he went to yeshiva with me, he's got to get a beard and whatever, and he's like, was a really from guy, very religious guy, and then um, I found out that he doesn't keep Shabbos and he doesn't eat kosher, he's married, he's got four little chesidusha kids, they all go to yeshiva, and secretly, quietly, he doesn't keep any mitzvahs anymore. Nothing. doesn't keep anything anymore. What's going on? Oh, sorry, I don't want to disturb you. Anyway, so I said, tell me a little bit more about him. So he said, well, he's married, he's got kids. And a year ago, he said, there's no God. He came to the conclusion, this is, you're talking about a 30-year-old guy. Came to the conclusion, there's no God. He is now an atheist. Got four kids going to yeshiva, right? And he, he came to this conclusion. I said, come into my office and close the door. So this guy comes into my office. He wants me to talk to this guy and try to bring him back, right? Close the door. Close the door. I'm like, you know this guy very well? He says, what are you talking about? He's my best friend from when we were kids. I'm like, talk to me. About what kind of kid in yeshiva? He's a great kid. He learned. He, he Shabbos. We went we, in camp. He, he's a great guy. He's a, something happened to him. I don't know. Maybe it's magic. Kishof. I don't know. Something happened to him. He, he doesn't keep anything. Doesn't keep mitzvahs. Doesn't keep anything. He, and, 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 and he's very smart. And he knows how to learn. And he, every time I talk about Hashem, he proves me from the Torah, this, that, and all you know, these guys who learn just to prove you whatever. I said, okay, I wanna, I'm gonna tell you something. Don't be angry at me. I said, but you know him very well. He tells you all his secrets? He goes, yes. 
I'm like, how long is he married? I don't know, 10, 12 years, 15 years. I said, I want you to know. I don't want to say blush and horror. Tell me that I'm wrong. But he's definitely having an affair with a non-Jewish woman. This guy looks at me. He goes, oh my God. I'm like, what kind of, what do you think? Like, what's the reaction? He says, I can't believe I heard stuff about you. You're a makubal. <laughs> You're a makubal. Kabbalah. You're scary. You read things. You see things. You hear things. I see what you're thinking about right now, and I don't like it. Change it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so the guy's shocked. And he's like, oh my God. I'm a Wallstein. You're a makubal. Please don't read my mind. I'm like, don't worry. I'm not reading your mind. I'm like... I am such a big makubal that if I say certain words under my mouth right now, you will turn into ash. <laughs> He's like, come on, you're kidding me. I'm like, I'm not kidding you. But right now I'm not in the mood to do that. I'm just, I am kidding you. And the truth is, I'm not a makubal. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something right now. Any Jewish guy that grows up in yeshiva, and he's learning, and he's married, and he has Jewish from kids that are going to yeshiva. All of a sudden, he's 35 years old, right? And one morning he woke up, said, Moda, no, no God. Come on, give me a break. No way. He's doing something so bad that he can't have Hashem. Because he knows that there's a Hashem, how can I do this? So I said, immediately when you told me that he's eating treif, he's being Mechal Shabbos, that's an affair. You're not changing your life that much at 35 years old to eat treif. It's not that much fun. But to be Mechal Shabbos, Shabbos is great, you know? Cholin, Kogel, Kishka, hey, right? You're not, you're not giving that up. Oh, a non-Jewish woman? Now I understand already what's going on. So he says to me, I can't believe that you know this. I'm like, I will not talk to your friend. There's no reason for me to talk to your friend. As long as he's with this shiksa, as long as he's with this girl, I can't, I, can't, I can't do anything for him. He has to get rid of So what happens? What happens in a lot of us is that we want to do something wrong. And because we want to do something wrong, then, and we'll tell you something fascinating thought, you're going to take this home tonight, and some of you are going to have it right. And most of you are going to understand it. And you're going to, you'll never forget what I'm going to tell you. An amazing thought. But... What happens in life is that, that when you're a good girl and a good boy, you do what you're supposed to. Hashem is here. Hashem is everywhere. But when you start doing bad things, now, you don't right away say, I want to do a bad thing so there's no God. What you do is you start to find things that Hashem didn't do good for you. So because you want to do bad things, you now have to, God's not such a good guy. You know, because he did this to my grandmother, and he did this to my uncle. And I don't really know if you're there anymore. The same girl, right, that was, whoa, giving shiurim, all of a sudden, because she wants to do something very wrong, and to do something wrong, you have to get rid of Hashem. I had a guy in business, my, my, my neighbor in business, in my office, 15 years ago, was a Jewish boy, a Jewish young guy, who was gay. And he was also an atheist. What a combination, right? He was gay and an atheist. What more can you ask for in life, right? So, so he knew I was a rabbi, and he always wanted to get me into conversations. Brilliant guy. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And he always wanted to get me in conversations to prove to me that there is no God. And I said, when you stop being gay, 
then I'll start talking to you about God. Because as long as you're gay, you know that God said to Eretz Hashem that it's something that's, it's something Hashem hates. So how could you be something Hashem hates? So there can't be a Hashem. So once you get off that whole subject and you become normal, which he, can't, he didn't, which he couldn't, whatever, right? Then I'll talk to you about Hashem. Right now I'm wasting my time because the same Hashem that I believe in wrote this in the Torah. And therefore, so... You're going to find a lot of atheists in that, in that field. So, so what happens is, we first want to do what we want to do wrong, then we get rid of our Kodesh Baruch Hu. So one rabbi, this is an amazing thought. One rabbi, a guy came to him, and he said to this rabbi, I don't believe in Hashem. I don't believe in Hashem. I have a lot of questions. Rabbi said, you have a lot of questions? He said, you keep Shabbos? He goes, no. E kosher? No. He said, let me ask you something. I want an honest answer. What came first? Not eating kosher, not keeping Shabbos, or not believing in Hashem? He said, not eating kosher, not, not keeping Shabbos. And then, once I wasn't keeping Shabbos, then you know, I thought about it, and I said, there's no Hashem. So listen carefully. So the rabbi said, your questions are not questions. Your questions are answers on why you don't keep Shabbos. You're coming to ask me questions to prove to you God. They're not questions. You're coming to, to prove there's no God, to answer why you don't keep Shabbos. He said, answers? I can't give answers on answers. So for all those who don't understand what I just said, I'll explain it to you one more time. If you were Mechal Shabbos first, you didn't keep Shabbos first, right? And now you have questions about God. The reason you have questions about God because you want to answer why you don't keep Shabbos. The reason you have questions on God is because, you know why I don't keep Shabbos? Because there's no Hashem. So these questions that you have on God are just to answer the behavior, going to the club and not being Shemitagia and doing all the other stuff that you want to do. All of a sudden, you're going to have a lot of questions about Hashem. You know why? Because you, those questions are your answer. Oh, of course I'm not Shemitagia. Because I, I, I don't know that there's a Hashem. So that not knowing that there's Hashem is an answer on your behavior. So this rabbi said, I can't give answers on answers. You, your answer is that there's no Hashem. That's what you want. I can't give you answers on answers. It's a little hard. You, gotta, you know, think about it a little bit. It's Tuesday night. It's late. But that's what he was saying. And, and that happens. And this is this month, I am to Hashem. And Hashem is to me. The first thing you're saying in Elul, before you do tshuva, is I know there's a Hashem. That's how you have to start. Now we can talk. Because if you start off with, when someone comes to me and says, prove me God, I know that this person is not behaving. Because if you're behaving, then you want to have God. If you're keeping all the mitzvahs, imagine, imagine a guy or girl, you're keeping all 613 mitzvahs, you're tznius, you're tznua, you you learn, you don't talk by davening, you never speak Russian horror. You want God or you don't want God? Of course you want God. I'm doing all this and Hashem said I'm going to get Ganesha and Mashiach and Olam Haba. So if you're doing all the right things, oh, there's a God. Don't have to prove me God. Because just the opposite. There is no God because I'm doing all the right things. I want to get a reward. It's when you don't do the right things that you need to get rid of Hashem. So the month begins with, you want to do tshuva? Tshuva means that I want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. I I know there's a Hashem. And I'm happy there's a Hashem because I'm doing the right thing. 
But when you're doing the wrong thing, that's when all the questions of God and all these questions that we have that lead us into all kinds of very bad places creep into our minds. So I want to tell you some new stories that I never said before. Like, like the first story is like, whoa. Um, and, and, you know, the summer's been a very tough summer for Claudia Stroll, I don't have to tell you. And um, even though there were many boys that came to my share, 150, he said, I don't know how many there were, but that club that night was so full of kids, of Jewish kids. And some of them from Queens, and some of them from Brooklyn, and from all over the place, and were struggling very, very much. Clydesville is struggling very much with with all the situations with the world, with, with America, with the world that we live in. And I'm not talking about Mr. Obama, and I'm not talking about politics, and I'm not talking about the Mets struggling with the Mets. You poor Mets fans. I'm a Yankee fan. Nebuchadnezzar, all of you. Okay. Okay. You know, listen, the Mets, the Mets fans get biggest cost than we did because they. The whole, the whole nine days, the whole three weeks, they, and they're still in Avelis, you know? They're still, they're still sitting on the floor. So, like, well, you know, must be big tzaddikim. They should have a refuel shalema. Anyway, so, that's not for you, girl. That's a, well, maybe some of you are Mets fans now. I hope, I hope not. Um, but, but seriously speaking, seriously speaking, Halavai, our kids would go to the baseball games. Halavai. We're, 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 we're suffering a lot in the, in the, in the fashion and the, the music. What is up with this music? I, I don't understand. I, I don't know. Maybe you girls have to give me, you guys, young guys, you have to give me a share in the music. Uh, I don't know. That's just not music. I don't know what that is. Techno. What is that? It's like, turn it up so loud that when you put those earphones on your ears, your eyeballs come out. Like, what is wrong with you? I shouldn't give you ears. Oh, my goodness. When I went to school, they put those things on in third grade, and, you know, you pointed to your ear when you heard the little sound. You know? Today, No chance. I bet you, you know, in five years from now, when they test the kids in third grade, it's going to be like techno. Ah, ah, this year, you know. Michelle, gone. You can't, girls are crazy. You're crazy. This kid told me today, I'm listening to techno. I'm like, can I hear some of it? Oh, what is it? It's nicer to scratch on the board. It's better. Scratch on the board. Oh, my goodness. Why, why do you listen to that? You cannot tell me. Nobody in this world can tell me that they enjoy that. That's, that's like that's like sticking hot french fries in your ears it's like it's like you, got, you know the older guys we don't forget it don't even try it don't even try it you know maybe the older guys we could do it because we can't hear so well you know hey turn it on a little louder but it's not normal all this music so so this kid whatever I was talking to this kid today, so I said let me hear some of your music because I like to talk about music and I'm, I'm back in Led Zeppelin I'm back in the old days you know who's that Led who what you know and the Beatles what is that what, what are the Beatles did you get an exterminator what are they in your house where are they you know so, so like, you can't even talk about that stuff. You know? But kids today, what do you listen to? I know why you listen. I know why you listen. There's no way you like that. Nobody can like that. Nobody can like that. You can't like it because it blows your brains out, right? You listen because everyone else listens to it because it's in. It's in. It's in. This girl that I know, she went partying, let's say Shabbos, whatever it is. She went to a club with the music, with the, with the with martinis, and she came home so drunk she didn't wake up till like, Mamash the next day. 24 hours. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Girl, Jewish girls get drunk. Something that we do. So I'm going to tell you why. I'll tell you a fantastic story. So there was this little baby bird who never fell out of the nest on the side of a road. I don't know if anyone in this room ever saw those little birds. But, you know, they usually die. They usually don't make it. But they're like nothing. They're little teeny birds. Anyway, it was a cold day that it fell to the side of the, to the, side of the road. And it was shivering to death. Poor little baby bird. 
No emotions here tonight? What's going on with you guys? Two. now it was warm cuddly it was full of nice warm stuff it felt secure and nice and it started to chirp happily along came a farmer and he hears chirping from a pile of manure he had never heard a pile of manure chirp he was fascinated so He got off his horse. He said, this is crazy. There's a pile of manure on the side of the road, and it's chirping. So after taking out his cane or whatever it is, looking through the manure, he saw there was a little baby bird stuck in there. He put on his gloves, his latex gloves, you know. Farmer had them always with They always carry Farmers always carry latex gloves. And he takes the baby bird out. He's like, oh, never. Look at this bird. First, its mother drops it on the floor. And then a cow poops on it. Oh, my goodness, this poor little thing. What a life. Right? You think we have a hard life? Look at this bird's life, right? So, they immediately put the bird on Torah any time. It watched my shear and it was a brand new bird. Anyway, so the farmer goes, he takes him home, and he washes it down, and it had a broken wing, and he sets the wing, and he takes care of this bird, and the bird starts to grow, and he feeds it worms, and he really takes care of this bird. But the bird never chirps. Never chirps. Down the road, down the road, there's a farmer that's able to talk to birds. So he calls this farmer, like David Amela, Shlomo Amela, calls him down, he says, could you ask my bird, right, under a thing of manure, he's chirping. I set his wings, I wash him up, he doesn't talk, he doesn't say nothing. Okay, I'll ask him. So he goes over to him, and he says to him, to the little bird, little bird, little bird, what's up with you? A cow dumps on you, and you're singing. And this farmer, he goes ahead, and he cleans you up, he fixes your wing, and you don't say a word. And the bird said, and you think I should thank the farmer? He said, what do you mean? He says, I was never in my life felt so cuddly and warm as I did when that cow dumped on me. And along comes this farmer, takes it all off me, washes me down. I don't even like him. <laughs> Crazy story, right? Crazy story. This is our story, everybody. This is our story. A wounded bird, cloud Yisrael, thrown out of Eretz Yisrael, the base Hamidosh is destroyed, thrown into America, right? Freezing, different Jews. When we came here in the 1920s, not able to keep Shabbos, they fired us. 
Very, very different. Along came America and dumped. That's not louder than techno. Come on, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. All right, I'll move the mic. He was saying it wasn't loud enough. Along comes America and dumps on the Jewish people. Dumps! Style, music, whiskey, drugs, pornography. You name it. You name it. Yeah. Facebook, internet, cell phones, all their garbage. Chatz v'shalom. MySpace. No, that's not that. We're not there. <laughs> Everything. Dumps, obese, fat, pile of manure. All garbage. All disgusting. All against the Tyra. On top of us. And we start chirping. I am an American. <laughs> you know who I am? I'm an American. I'm an America. Baruch Hashem. God save America. We're all happy. It's cozy. It's cushy. It's warmy. It's nice. And when a rabbi walks in and he tries to clean the manure off you and tell you and, and make you better and fix your wings, everybody stops chirping. What are you kidding me? This is not a club. In a club we dance and we sing. Simchas Torah? Let the old rabbis go around a few times. <laughs> the guys are in the corner smoking and talking and eating and, and drinking. Let the rabbis go around. But in the club, hell, baby, those guys are dancing, split and hanging, doing everything. They got all the moves. The girls got the moves. The guys got the moves. Everybody's got the moves in the club. But when it comes to... And they're funny. And they're singing. And they're, they're full of energy. And then Shabbos afternoon, they come to shul... What's the next page? Well, come on, let's get out of here. Right? This is too much. But it feels good in the manure. Huh? Feels good to sit in America covered with the manure because it keeps us all warm. We're all comfortable. Comes Elul. Comes the next month that's coming up and Hashem says, bird, bird, Klyushwell, that's under the cow's manure. I'm going to take you and I'm going to wash you and I'm going to clean you and I'm going to fix you. No, no, no. Keep me where I am. I want to be in my manure. It's where I'm happy. I'm happy in my club. I'm happy online. One girl told me today, I don't know, I get this all the time. I don't know what's wrong with Facebook. I got so many friends. I'm like, how many friends do you have? I have 900 friends. <laughs> Gamara says if you have one real friend, it's amazing. She has 900 friends. I said, so could you do me a favor? Ornava financially, we're not doing well at all. I'm not making an appeal, right? Ornava, we're not doing well. You have 900 friends. You know, if you if you reach out to all your friends and tell them that you're part of a you know an organization that needs a lot of help, if you could get each friend to give you a hundred dollars, that's ninety thousand dollars. I said, do me a favor. I'm going to talk good about Facebook for the rest of my life. If you just get a hundred dollars from each girl. She said, are you out of your mind, Rabbi? I couldn't get $100 out of five of them. So they're your friends? What do you mean they're your friends? You can't get $100 for your charity that you're part of? $90,000! One click! Facebook, right? One click, you're on. $90,000! If every girl in this room that was on Facebook would get $100 from every one of their friends on Facebook, we could... Support Torah anytime or Nava probably between everyone that's in this room on Facebook there's got to be at least 5,000 friends 5,000 friends $100 from each one of them 
$500,000, half a million dollars we could raise. And I tell you, that from those 5,000 friends that you have on Facebook, that are there for you, my profile, right? All those people, you're not going to get 10 bucks. You know what a friend is. You don't even know what a friend is. Because Facebook made these fake friends. People don't even know what a friend is anymore. How many of those people are getting up in the middle of the night? How many people, if you were some sick in a hospital, would be sitting next to your bed? For those people on Facebook. And if they're not, if they're not willing to do that, then they're not your friends. And if they are your friends, then you need to meet them on Facebook. Meet them. Talk to them. Hang out with them. Eat with them. You know, what, what are we doing? Forget about the profiles, girls, with all respect to you. Or the pictures of znus that you put on those, what you look like on those pictures, on those profiles that you put up there. Feh. Disgusting. Jewish girls to look like that. 14-year-old girls look like 19-year-olds that they should be in Vegas dancing on stage. <laughs> Not funny. Not funny. We went in Yeshiva in 8th grade and we went on Facebook to find out what our 8th graders look like on Facebook. And I see this girl in school. She looks like she's 8 years old. On Facebook, she looks like she's 25, Miss Universe. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I told, I told someone today, I, I wasn't going to talk about it, I have to talk about it. I, I, want, to, I want to speak to the girls for a minute. Guys, don't think of the... I know what you guys do on Facebook too. Don't sit there like, oh, it's all them. They're all looking this way. Look how they're all looking this way. Yeah, who's looking at the profiles, boys? Who's looking at the profiles? So uh, I'm sorry for the older people that are here that you're not on Facebook and you're not part of what I'm talking about right now. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem for you that you don't even know what I'm talking about. So, so, so she says to me, um, so I'm talking to her about the, you know, the pictures. And so I said to her, I said, she said, well, well, my pictures that I have on Facebook, they're tzniyas. I said, they're tzniyas? Yeah, I'm covered here till here, till here, till here, right? A little bit over here if you're on Facebook, right? Till here. I'm covered till here, right? And I'm covered down to my toes. So what's wrong with this? I'm like, excuse me, you know what tzniyas means? Tzniyas means that my life that I live is nobody else's business. Now, how many of you on Facebook can say that? My trips, my school, my friends, all those pictures. If you're at Snua, it's nobody's business. Snua means your life is between you and Hashem. You and your husband. That's it. Not that I go to your Facebook and I see your graduation trip, and I see your skiing trip, and your birthday, and 16 other your friends. That's not my business. That's nobody's business. How do you dare put that out for other people to see? You're special. Every person's special. You have a private life. A Jew is sneers. It's a snua. Same thing with the boys. It's no one's business. Your trip to the Colorado or wherever you went. That's your business. It's your trip. It's your life. Privacy. Privacy is snua. But what happened? They dropped this manure on all of us. And like, hey, it's great. You go online, you can be 14 years old, act like you're 20 years old. You could have not one dollar, not a penny, not a penny in your bank account and put on your profile that you're a banker, you have a house in the Hamptons. Guys do this. Girls don't do this so much. The guys do this. Um, six foot two with olive skin, um, blue eyes, wavy hair. The guy's four foot five, weighs 935 pounds, doesn't have a hair on his head, right? Doesn't have 12 cents. He's on the Bowery, right? But... He took a picture of some model, right? Sometimes they take their face and they put it on the body of the model. You know how they do that. You know, they, they play with the pictures, right? And they got... So, so what did the Yates of Her do? The Yates of Her, what he did, 
He created an ability to not be who you really are. And deep down, people don't want to be who they really are, and that's the sickness, and that's the, that's the problem with our whole generation. You should be so proud of who you are. And we're so busy being someone else. So, we have to get rid of the manure. And we have to get our wings back, and we have to start chirping in shul. And chirping in the Tehillim, and chirping in Chesed, and, and being happy outside of the menorah. But we're so into it, I was talking in, in, in Great Neck, and I said, you know, it's just, it's so interesting, you come to Eretz Yisrael, well, first of all, we're very into America, 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 I'm American, right? That, that passport, that passport, ooh-wah, ooh-wah. You got that passport, you're like a different person. So, you know, so I come to Eretz Yisrael, it's very sad, very, very sad. Come to Eretz Yisrael, I, I, I'm talking to myself, not talking to anyone, I, I'm the same way. I have my American passport, especially when you're in Russia, it's not, not such a good thing, but whatever. So, you come to Israel, right, and you get off the plane and then they have customs. And customs, it says, Israeli passport, foreigners, right? And you're, you're walking in there, and you know, all the Israelis go with their Dachronim, I think they're called, right, their, their passport, and you're like, not me. I'm not an Israeli. I'm a foreigner. And you get online and you're all excited. You whip out your green or your blue passport. American. I'm American. Right? And the guy opens up and he says, uh, Any family here? Yeah. An uncle, a cousin. Ooh. Uh, apartments? Any apartments? Well, my father. Where's your, dark? Where's your Israeli passport? You were born here, right? You were born here. I want to see your Israeli passport, you know? And you're like, No. I don't have one. Ha. And you're like so proud that you're an American. It's, it, it, anyone who tells me it's not true is not telling the truth. You, when you take out that passport, it's like, yeah. Wherever you go, France, England, I'm an American, fine. Now you come back to America, right? You get off that LL flight at 4.35 in the morning, right? And you come to, that, to the customs hall, right? And Nebuchadnezzar, all those Israelis, and that, that plane that comes in before us, I think comes from Cuba, I don't know where it comes. There's always one plane that comes in before the Israeli plane, and there's a huge line, huge line, on foreigners. And there's this little teeny line, U.S. U.S. Right? Citizens, they write it. U.S. citizens. And you walk up. Good morning. How are the Yankees doing? How's everything? What's happening? How's the market? It feels so good that you're a U.S. citizen. Now listen to me for a second. Listen to me, everybody. Listen to how we're under the manure. Listen to how we're under the pile of manure. We go to Eretz Yisrael. Listen to this. We go to Eretz Yisrael, and we're happy that we're on the visitor line. I'm a visitor. I'm not a citizen of Israel. I'm not a Jew. I'm a visitor in Israel, and I'm happy I'm a visitor. And I come to America, where I'm supposed to feel like a foreigner. This is not my land at all. We're beginning to see that. This is not my land. I should be getting on the line where it says foreigner. I should be walking up with my head down and saying, I'm never a U.S. citizen. In this, in this country, I should be a foreigner. I should feel different. I shouldn't be part of the club scene and all this other garbage. I'm a foreigner. I don't belong here. I'm not a citizen. In Eretz Yisrael, I'm a citizen. No, we go to Eretz Yisrael, we're a foreigner. We come to America, we're a citizen. We're under the manure. We're under the pile of manure. We're so happy and we're so comfortable and it's amazing. I'm an American. Mishtara stops you. In, in Israel, the first thing you pull out is, I'm an American. What? What? 
What do you mean what? You wear Yeshka Kippah, Yeshka Tzitzit. What is that? Told me they wear Vrit? I told me they wear Vrit? What? What are you talking about? I'm an American. See, see, U.S. citizen. I don't talk your language. <laughs> and then, you're proud. Geschmack, unbelievable. I'm an American. You know who I am? You're under a pile of manure. You got to know that. Comes L, comes this coming month. You got to be proud that you're a Jew, not that you're an American. Very nice. I'm, not a, I'm an American too. Very nice. But it's not the Iker. It's not the main thing. You're a Jew. That's the main thing. Because the Jews have been Americans and Germans and Polish and Russian and it, they, threw, they threw us out of every single country. Every country that we thought we were a citizen in, we got booted. But we always stayed Jews. And that you have to know comes first. Get rid of the menorah. Get rid of the, 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 the culture that we're living in. And you can be, I'm normal, I mean, maybe not, but I'm a little bit normal. And, and, and Baruch Hashem, believe it or not, Rabbi Wallstein is not on Facebook. I have friends. I only have one friend, but I have friends. Right? You could not be on Facebook and have friends. I think that's what we need to learn. And you don't have to be on the internet all the time. I run a business, I run a novel, I run a terrorist novel. I'm not on the internet. Do I have people that work for me on the internet? Absolutely. But I don't need to be on the internet. I don't have a computer in my, in my office. You don't need it. If you don't need it, don't be on it. Just because he's on it, they're on it. i got to get a blackberry, blueberry, raspberry, I don't know, whatever they're called. Right? Because he has a blackberry and a blueberry and a, and a raspberry. i got to get to my emails. I gotta be, oh. There was life before all this. Elul is the time. It's me to Hashem and Hashem to me. Okay. I want to end. And, and also, and, 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 and the helping another person, we have to help our parents. Our parents. Everyone's helping everyone. You have to help your parents, and you have to help poor people. I know that the guys in this room, I know business is very bad, and I know it's very hard, but there are a lot, the poor people stayed. The, the, the rich people got a little bit poorer, but the poor people got even poorer. And, and therefore, if, if, you, if you can't give them the same amount, you got to give them something. If the guy comes to shore, don't get aggravated when he puts his hand out. Don't get aggravated because you're not doing well in business. Give him something. Because he's still, uh, uh, there's a story with a horse and a mule. I don't know if you ever heard the story. So there's a horse and a mule, and, and the guy's going on a trip, and he puts on the horse like 15 pounds, and on the mule he puts 150 pounds. And they start going on the trip, and the mule says to the horse, can you do me a favor? Uh, my back is breaking. I can't carry 150 pounds. Could you take 50 pounds off and put it, you know, and you carry it? And the horse says, are you crazy? I'm not helping you. I got my 15 pounds. You slept your 150 pounds. What happens? What happens? Ten minutes into the trip, the back of the, of, the, of the donkey, of the mule, breaks. And the donkey's dead. Now the donkey's dead, the owner goes, and he takes the 200 pounds off the donkey's back, and he puts it on the horse's back. So now the horse has the whole donkey's load, plus the load he has. Stupid horse. If you would have taken half the load, he wouldn't have died. You would have had half. Now you got the whole thing. So let me tell you what's going on. If you don't help the army, you don't help the poor person, right? And he breaks under that load. What's all, all that's going to happen is all the stuff he's going through, now it's going to go to you. You're going to go through it. The army's not going to change. If you take half his load, so you have half his load, he has half his load. But if you're going to let him break, then you're going to end up taking his load. If someone needs your help emotionally, and you're like... You know, it's your problem, not my problem. And you don't help them, and they break. Then Hashem, they don't have the problem anymore. They're not here anymore. Hashem is going to take that problem, and now put that on top of your other problems on your back. 
So you're silly. So it doesn't mean you have to take the whole other person's problem, but take half their problem. Help them out. And that starts with appearance. It doesn't start with chesed outside on the moon. It starts with our parents and our sisters. Mm, sister? Our sisters and our brothers and our cousins and our family. You want to do, you want to do kiruv? Do kiruv in your own family. Every family has someone that needs kiruv. Do kiruv in your own family. That's where it starts. Because if you don't help them, you're just going to get more on top of your back. You're going to get their problems plus your problems. Anyway, I want to end with a story. And I, I think I might have said it here. I'm not sure. Maybe I did it. Maybe I did. For, for, for El, that's very important. There's a story about Shaden. Shaden. Spirits. So, see, I told you he's a McCorpel. Anyway, so, and, and this is a very important story for El. The story goes like this. There was a, I'm going to tell it to you very fast. There was a, um, a Moyle, and uh, Moyle is a man who does Brismila. And he was very, very stingy. He was a very big miser. You couldn't get a copper penny out of this guy. He wouldn't give a penny to anyone. He wouldn't give anyone a dollar. But he did brismila for free. That was his thing. You call him, brismila, you know, costs 500 bucks. He would do it for free. Anywhere he could travel. It can't take him more than eight days to get there because then he can't do the bris. But he would do it for free. So one day, this beautiful man shows up at his door and says to him, I heard that you do bris mila for free. I live three days from here. I want you to come with me. I want you to do this bris mila. He said, okay, no problem. So he gets on the wagon. They travel for three days. They go through the woods. They go through the, through, through the valleys. And they come to this most magnificent place in the woods with the most magnificent village. Beautiful houses. Every house. Gorgeous house. Big satellites on the roof. You know, it doesn't say that here, but whatever. Beautiful houses. So, the guy says, I'm taking the horse, I'm going to put it away, you go into my house. The mother goes into the house, and of course, every mother, before you do brismila, you have to look at the baby. So he knocks on the lady's door, she says, come in, he walks in, and there's this lady laying in the bed, with this baby in a, in a, in a, in a crib, and she says to him, who are you? She can't see, it's a little dark, who are you? He says, I'm the mother, I came to do brismila, I want to see your son. She goes, do you know where you are? He says, yeah, I'm in your house and your husband came and he wants me to do a bris mila. She goes, you know, you know, you know what this whole city is built on? He says, no, I don't know anything. He just told me he wants me to do a bris mila. She said, well, we're a, we're a, a whole village of Shindalids. Now, Shindalids are devils, are, are, were created right before Shabbos, Ben Um, they're not human. They're not angels. They're called changelings. They have a, a power of, changing their body to look like anything or anybody, even a tree or whatever it is. There's stories in the Gemara about them. They're bad. They make a lot of trouble. You know about them because if you ever close a window in your house, you close it up with a wall, you have to make a hole in the wall for them to live in. Because if you close up a wall, the Gemara says, a window, if you close it up with something, not if you close it, if you close it up with something, they live in the windows. That's where Shadim lives. They live in a person's windows and in a person's gutter, in the gutters of a person's house. And they don't bother you. But if you close up their window with a wall, right, then they come into the house and there's diseases and shalom bias problems. And I have been involved in houses where people were getting sick and people were, it was like crazy things were happening. And the first question I said, did you redo your house? And they said, yes. And I said, did you have a window on a wall that you made it to just a pure wall without a window? And they said, yes. I said, are you crazy? Did you ask your rabbi, did you make a hole? You have to make a hole with a straw? Did you make a hole? Did you make another window for them? What did you do? Nothing. I said, right now. And Baruch Hashem, every time, almost every time we did that, 
all that stuff went away. The Gemara talks about it. It's not Rabbi Wallerstein. This is not superstitious. This is not, this is Gemara, Halacha. The Halacha is you're not allowed to close a window. You're also not allowed to go into a Chorba, a building that's been been alone for a long time. That's where they lived. The Gemara talks about a rabbi that went in. They try to, whatever. They're, they're bad news. We don't see them with our eyes. But they can change themselves. And Shlomo Melech, whatever. They can change themselves to anything. The only thing they can change is their feet. Their feet stay webbed like a duck. And there are people that say that Hitler, Yemach Shemo, who killed the six million Jews, never took off his shoes. And people have said that he was a Shindal. We know there was an explosion. It didn't kill him. All kinds of stories. Anyway, okay. Anyway, that's, they, they're not good. They're bad. And they don't like us at all. Because we're sort of in their world. But they, they can't bother us. Hashem doesn't let them bother us unless certain things that we close the window, we do certain things that we're not supposed to. Okay. Anyway, she tells this, tells this male, this whole town, this whole town, every person you see in this town that looks human is not human. It's a devil. It's a shade. She goes, oh my goodness. She says, listen to me. If my husband ever finds out, this is worth that a kaviyosha. This is a halacha paskin point. This is not a storybook. This is a book of Kabbalah written 400 years ago by one of the biggest of the biggest. It's quoted by the Chidah. It's quoted by the biggest. So this is, I'm not telling you some story that you know, I read in a book somewhere. So she says to him, but one thing you have to know about Shindalids. If they give you something and you take it from them, then they own you. You'll never get out of here. But if you don't take anything from them, you get nothing from them, they have no power over you. So whatever my husband offers you, do not take. Okay? So, he comes in, the husband. This guy is shaking. Here he is in a town of Shindalas. He's done. He's done. So, the husband walks in. Oh, we're making a supper tonight for the Moel. Will you please come in the middle of town? We're going to give you a dinner. He's thinking, uh-uh, I don't want to be dinner. Right? I don't want to be dinner. I don't want to have dinner. So, he says to him, I really had a bad trip. I'm nauseous. I, I, I want to go to sleep. Okay? He goes to sleep. Next morning is the bris. He does the bris on this child. Now, she was human. She was human. The mother was human. She was kidnapped as a young girl. And they kept her. And she was human. So the child was human. And we learn from the story that the halach is that a father that's a shindalit and a mother that's human, the child has a dinner of a human and he has to have a bris. From this story, that's where they learn the halach. Okay, it's not, it's not, part, of, it's not, not part of the story. It's not important. So... The next morning they make the bris. After the bris, they have a big party, right? These guys put out stuff. Forget about it. Shindals are known. They steal. They steal everything that's not tied down, that's not counted. Sometimes when you're missing money, whatever, and you don't know, right? That's put down in the Gemara. They, they steal. They're big gun of them. So you can imagine the party they put out there. And then the Moyle have something to eat. He's like, I had a crazy dream last night. It was so scary. I took on a tanit chalom, and I'm not allowed to eat today. <laughs> you have a bad dream the next day you fast so he said I had a bad dream uh, he didn't say I was dreaming I saw Shadim right but he said finished okay okay so they go through the whole day he doesn't eat okay he tells this guy you know tomorrow morning I want to leave I want to go home I did my bris I want to go home so the Shindal says to him you know what but tonight before you, before you go to sleep we're going to take you home in the morning but before you go to sleep I want, I want to show you something I want to show you something she says okay So, he goes ahead, and he comes to the first room, and the Shindalit opens the room, and in this room, the room is full of gold and silver. He never saw so much gold and silver in his life, this mile. And he was a very stingy man. And the Shindalit says, you know, Rabbi, Moel, I got to pay you. 
Take any gold, any crown. All the, all the boats that sink and all the things that happen, they take. That's who takes the treasure from the bottom of the sea. So take anything you want. He says, you don't know who I am, the miser says. I am the richest man in my town. One thing I don't need is money. I don't need money. I don't want your money. He says, okay, okay. We'll go to the second room. Takes him to the second room, opens up the room. Diamonds, jewels, sapphires. He never saw diamonds like this in his life. He says, Rabbi, Moel, whatever you want, take any jewel you want. He says, you know, mister, you don't seem to get it. I'm a very, very rich man. I don't need your money. So the Shindalit stands and looks at him and says, okay, let's go to the third room. Takes him to the third room, opens up the door. The Moel takes one look, steps in, takes one look. Oh my God, turns white, starts to shake. The wall, all the walls of the room are full of human heads. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. You guys know it. The walls full and full and full of keys. Keys. Car keys, all kinds of keys. So the Shindala turns to the Moylan says, what happened to you? Why are you shaking? What are you so scared about? I took you to a room of gold, nothing. Room of, of diamonds, nothing. A couple of brass, thousands of brass keys, and you lost it? What are you shaking about? Because my keys are on your wall. How did you get my keys? Those are my keys to my bank vault, to my warehouses, to my house. How did you get my keys? So the Shindalit. Hey, you want to tell the story? No. Oh, okay. I don't mind. I'm tired. My legs are killing me. If you want, I'll sit down. So he says, I stole your keys. He said, God must be with you. But the whole trip here that you're here, I've been trying to give you things and you didn't take anything. I am not a human being. He tells the Mayo. I'm a Shindalit. I can change myself to look like you, to look like anything. But I see that God's with you. So many times I try to trap you, and you didn't fall for it. So now I'll tell you. I took your keys. She says, how did you get to take, how do you get to take my keys? And he said, when the first poor man came to you for money, and you said no, you still had choice. The second person came for money, and you said no, you didn't have 100% choice anymore because you already said no. And again you said no, and again you said no, and again you said no. And when a person continues to say no their whole life, for a long time, you lose your choice. Keys means choice. When you do an Avera and you over and over and over, you lose your Bechira, you lose your choice, everybody. Now you're going to tell me a person never loses their choice, right? An alcoholic doesn't lose his choice. If I put a drink in front of him, he has a choice, he's human, he's not an animal. Say no! You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.